Now for this month's special series on ReachMD, focus on future medicine. We're looking ahead to pivotal breakthroughs and technologies that will transform healthcare in the coming years. The secret to longer and healthier human lives may lie in a few extraordinarily long-lived animals that have been dubbed Methuselah Zoo, after the biblical figure said to have lived almost a thousand years. So can researchers actually harness whatever it is that allows a tortoise to live 150 years or a rockfish to last two centuries? I'm your host, Dr. Mary Luchars, and joining me today is Dr. Stephen Alstad, a professor in the Barshop Institute for Longevity and Ageing Studies at the University of Texas Health Science Center and Research Committee Chair for the American Federation for Ageing Research. Welcome, Dr. Alstad, and thanks for joining us. It's nice to be here. So who coined the phrase Methuselah Zoo? I did. <laughs> I've actually been thinking about these animals that live exceptionally long lives for, for many years, and so I finally came up with what seemed to me to be a, a, a nice tag for that. What is the longest living animal species that we know of? Probably the ocean quahog, which is a clam, a clam that's not very big. It's about the size of your palm. But they've now been documented to live up to 500 years in the wild. And what, what's the longest living mammal? Longest living mammal is the bowhead whale. It's an Arctic whale, the second largest whale that we know about. And there's pretty good evidence that they live 200 years or more. What's the documented longest lifespan on Earth of a human then? Uh, that's uh, Jean Calment uh, from southern France who lived about 122 and a half years. And she died in uh, 1997. To get some idea of, of how long she actually lived, she was born in the U.S. presidency of Ulysses S. Grant. She died in the presidency of Bill Clinton. So she actually lived through a fair fraction of American history. And when did scientists first start looking back to animal lifespan to understand how humans age? Well, you know, almost 400 years ago, Francis Bacon uh, started talking about long-lived animals in a book he wrote called The History of Life and Death. And that's really the oldest time that I have been able to find where someone pointed out Look here, of course, he didn't know how long animals live. Here's an elephant or a camel that lives 100 years. What can we learn about living longer from these animals? Which species do you think we can learn the most from? Uh, that's a very good question. I think that is yet uh, to be determined. You know, almost all the medical research that goes on in aging is done on animals that are demonstrably unsuccessful at it. That is, they're short-lived, they tend to fall apart in a hurry. So this is a relatively new phenomenon about how can we use our new sort of molecular and biochemical tools to investigate how animals can live much longer than humans can in ways that we may not have anticipated. Let me give you an example of an animal that you may not think of as long life, but really is. So a, a bat, a small bat, the bats that fly all over New York City, can live as much as 34, 35 years in the wild. Now, this is an animal that has an extremely rapid metabolism. If you calculate the amount of energy that they burn in each of their cells of their body for that 35 years of their life, it's way more than the amount of energy we burn in our 80 or 90 years of life. So they figured out a way to deal with oxygen radicals, which is one of the main damaging products that our cells produce much better than humans have. And if we can figure out how they can do it or how some long-lived birds can do it 
or maybe how some whales and clams can do it, then that will give us hints about how to increase human health and longevity. Have we figured out anything so far? What do we know? Yeah, it's, it's at a very early stage in these sorts of things. I think what we know now is that the cells of, from these animals have a phenomenal uh, ability to resist various kinds of stress, whether it's stress to their DNA or stress to their proteins or stress to their lipids. What we haven't yet figured out is how they develop that incredible stress resistance. That's what we're working on right now. What's the marmoset model for aging research? Well, a marmoset is a, is a primate. So it's a close human relative, but it's about the size of a rat. So primates would be very good for studying, let's say, the effects of various pharmaceutical agents on aging because they're such close relatives of us. The problem is that primates, by and large, live too long. So most of the research monkeys that people do live 30 to 40 years. So if we want to really find out if, let's say, a, a pharmaceutical affects aging, then we're talking about projects that last several decades to find that out. The interesting thing about a marmoset is it's the shortest live primate. They only live about seven years on average, and they're really old by the time they get to be 10 or 11. What this means is that within a five-year project, they go from being a healthy young adult to quite a decrepit senile adult. And so in a five-year project, we potentially have the possibility of seeing if a pharmaceutical has a significant impact on aging. Which pharmaceuticals have you tried so far on marmosets? We're just setting up the first pharmaceutical that we're going to try is this uh, drug rapamycin that's improved life uh, span so successfully in mice. And do the marmosets have any other pills to look forward to in the future in your lab? I, I'm sure they do, but that's the, but that's the only one that we've got uh, in the pipeline right now. How do your research team actually assess animal health span or animal lifespan? How do you do that? Oh, well, we do it very similar to the way a physician in his office does a clinical exam. We measure blood pressure, we measure body composition, we measure serum chemistry. We have lots of agility tests. We have lots of cognitive tests. This is one of the things that the marmosets are going to be most useful for because we don't really have very clever ways of testing the mental abilities of a mouse because their mental abilities are so limited. But something like a marmoset is a primate, and it's smart enough to learn to do a memory test by touching a computer monitor in various places. So we can do much more sophisticated cognitive tests on a marmoset than we could ever do on a mouse. And since cognitive aging is one of the things that people worry most about, we think this is really exciting. If you're just joining us, you're listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Mary Lushaz, and joining me today is Dr. Stephen Alstad, who's an expert on ageing research. Now, Dr. Alstad, I want to ask you more about your animal research. Why are mole rats so interesting? Uh, well, because they're so long-lived. Uh, we sort of take in, in, in biomedical research the, the mouse as the standard animal of choice. Well, here... The naked mole rat is an incredibly cute to some, incredibly ugly to others. Mouse-sized rodent that lives 10 times as long as a mouse. Not only does it live 10 times as long as a mouse, that is, instead of living two or three years, they live 25 or 30 years, but they don't apparently get cancer. We've done hundreds and hundreds of necropsies on naked mole rats, and we've never found a tumor in one. So they're intriguing from the aspect of their longevity, but also what they might teach us about tumor prevention. 
Now, you've written a book called Methuselah Zoo. Can you tell us about that? Well, that book is still in process. I'm still working on Methuselah Zoo. Yeah, the subtitle is A Bestiary of Exceptionally Long Life. And what this is going to do is march us through the animal kingdom, show us what the extreme values of longevity are, and something about the biology of those animals that may have led to those longevities. Included in this is going to be a whole discussion of extreme human longevity, say, people that live over 110 years, because that is a, that's one in a million people, uh, basically, and what we might learn about aging from studying them. Which is the animal that you start talking about first in the book? Do you mention tortoises, for example? I do mention tortoises, but I'm going to start off with mentioning clams, believe it or not, because they're really the longest-lived animals, and you can put this in some sort of human context if you figure that the longest-lived clam that we know about uh, was actually born in the same year that the first stage production of Hamlet took place uh, in England, and it just died a couple of years ago when... Scientists cut it open to find out how old it was. And where was that clam located? Was it, was it in, a, in a lab or a, was it in, in the wild still? It was in the wild. It was actually a clam that was pulled up off of the bottom of the ocean on the southern coast of Iceland. Now, when you talk about the comparative biology of mammalian aging, what do you mean? I mean the way that we would compare species that are exceptionally long live to those that are exceptionally short live to try to figure out what the key cellular molecular differences that distinguish those two kinds of animals are. So, for instance, a naked mole rat and a mouse are superficially very similar, but they differ tenfold in, in how long they live. So can we learn something by studying those differences? That's, the, that's basically the approach that comparative biology takes. What proportion of the scientific community in the U.S. at the moment, do you think, uh, are involved in ageing research? very small proportion, probably 4 or 5%. And what, what sort of budget do you think is consumed on an annual basis in ageing research? About 4 or 5% of the NIH budget. The same. And I think it's enormously uh, short-sighted that it's not higher. Let me explain why. Virtually all of the serious diseases, the fatal diseases and the non-fatal diseases, are ones that ultimately are caused by ageing. So that it's a different sort of conceptual approach to treating diseases than to fix on one at a time and let's figure out a way to treat cancer, let's find a way to cure heart disease. If you actually figure out a way to slow aging, then you're actually going to prevent and delay cancer, heart disease, Alzheimer's disease, arthritis, cataracts, osteoporosis, the list goes on and on. So that, in terms of bang for your buck, strikes me as a very wise investment. Do you think that in the future it will continue, the concept of anti-aging and longevity will continue to be a hot topic in medicine and attract funding for research? I think it's going to be a hotter and hotter topic and attract more and more funding. It's, it's not only something that humans are obsessed with and really you would like to change, but just in terms of biology, it's the neatest problem that we haven't solved yet. I have a question for you about how evolution shapes aging. Would you like to comment on that, about what you know at the moment? Sure, sure. Evolution is very good at uh, refining and modulating the reproductive schedule of animals because that's all what it's about. Evolution is about which kind of animal is most successful at leaving offspring. Aging is kind of an unwanted side effect of that. Evolution doesn't care about aging. It cares about reproduction. 
as a consequence, a lot of the things that evolution has put into the genomes of ourselves and other animals are things that actually accelerate aging, probably because they have some real benefit early in life. Now, if we can figure out what those things are and wait till after we get that early light benefit and then alter them, we could make ourselves and animals live longer, healthier lives. So we've already done this. There are now several hundred genes uh, in our various laboratory animals that if we modulate them, they'll make the animal live longer. So that's a surprise. Nobody ever suspected there were going to be that many genes out there that affect longevity. And as uh, the progress in you know, genome sequencing continues, will you then be able to develop more and more cross-species investigatory techniques? Yeah, I think that's a key thing. That Certainly from what we're going to be able to learn from the comparative biology for the long-lived tortoises and the clams and the bats and the naked mole rats is going to depend on genome sequencing giving us the molecular tools to understand how those animals differ from ourselves and from one another. And because we've had this enormously rapid acceleration in our ability to sequence genomes, this is something that's, that's not just five or ten years down the line. This is something that's, that's here now and is going to change medical research in the next handful of years. Uh, well, thanks to you, Dr. Stephen Osted, for joining us today and being our guest. We've been discussing ageing and his book, Methuselah Zoo, and the research he does in animals. I'm Dr. Mary Lushaz, your host. We welcome your comments and questions through our website at reachmd.com, which now features our entire medical show library in on-demand podcasts. Thanks very much for listening. You've been listening to this month's special series, Focus on Future Medicine. For a program guide and a complete list of shows, please visit us at reachmd.com.